Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. And you can check out the, the course uh, called Teach the Geek to Speak. It's an online public speaking course. You can check it out at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Jennifer Hogan. She is the professional mm -hmm. development coordinator for Clemson University's bioengineering department. I want to talk to her because she's heavily involved with preparing engineering students for the workforce. I often talk about the importance of public speaking on this platform, but all the public speaking skills in the world won't really amount to much if you can't get the job. So I'm really excited to speak with her about how she helps engineering students best, best position themselves to get jobs. So welcome to Teach the Geek interviews, Jennifer. Thank you. So the first question I had, you know, I mentioned in the intro that you're a you're the professional development coordinator for Clemson's bioengineering department. What do you do in your in your in that role? My job is to connect students with industry, whether it be full time jobs, internships, um, postdoc positions, or just kind of getting um, kind of the expertise that they need. Um, so I'm kind of the the conduit that connects them with industry. Okay, have you always worked with engineering students? I have not. I've actually, this is my first, I guess, venture into engineering, working with engineering students. I've been doing this longer than I have in any other job. I've been doing this for about 10 years now, uh, but I was actually doing athletic advising before I stepped into this role. Um, and it was a new role. This hasn't, this job was not in place before because with bioengineering, a lot of people are not sure what it is. And so um, my boss said, you know what, we need somebody who can teach industry what a bioengineer is. And because it fits such a very unique niche, you know, in the industry, you know, industrial engineers can go get a job doing whatever, you know, and mechanical and electrical, you know, but bioengineering is very specific kind of niche. So they kind of felt like they needed someone kind of a cheerleader advocate um, just for these students. Yeah, I, I could I could totally see that because you're right, you know, industrial, mechanical, electrical, chemical, these are all engineering disciplines that I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of companies would recognize. But if you hear bioengineering or even biomedical engineering, you're kind of figure, trying to figure out what exactly does that mean? What kind of expertise do these kids have? What kind of education do they have? And it's I think it's really helpful to have someone like you that can act as, as I guess as the kind of the teacher to to these to these in, to these industry, you know, to industry to let them know this is this is something and this is what they can offer and, and this is why you should hire them. So I'm really glad that, that the Clemson's bioengineering department thought enough to bring in someone like yourself. So with, from the, since this is the first time, and, and you, you know, it's been 10 years that you've been working with bioengineering students, and but you worked with different types of students before. Do you notice any difference between the, the, the bioengineering students and the students that you've worked before in terms of their, I guess, preparedness to get that first job? Um, there's not a lot of difference, I think, in the preparedness to get a certain job. I think, you know, the academic, the approach to the academics might be a little bit different, but I think the approach to all students getting a job after graduation or getting that internship is the same in that, 
you have to network. And I know nobody wants to hear that. It's like, oh, networking. Everybody says networking, networking, networking. But the truth is, it's kind of who you know, because you're going to have, you know, people who are in, I guess, bioengineering students, you know, when they're graduating or they're applying for internships, that same person multiplied by how many departments there are across the United States or, you know, even across seas who are going to apply for that one job. But if you know somebody on the inside that can say, hey, I know Jennifer um, or I know John, you know, I went to I went to Clemson or I went to the same school, even if it's not in the same major, you have somebody on the inside pulling for you saying, hey, I'm at least familiar with this person. Let's pull their application versus just what they call praying and spraying and applying online and hoping that your resume looks good enough for someone to give you a phone call. You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Jennifer, because I was on LinkedIn maybe a few months ago and I was talking about the, the hidden job market because there's oftentimes there are jobs that are available that aren't advertised out on LinkedIn or on Indeed or, you know, on, on these other, you know, job, job platforms. And the person, a person responded to my post saying that they didn't believe that such a, that such a network existed. And I didn't really care to, to argue with this person on the, on the existence of this job market, but I firmly believe it exists. I mean, there's oftentimes, especially in, in a smaller company where perhaps they don't really want to get a whole bunch of, of resumes to review, they very much rely on people within the organization to let them know, who do you know that can potentially take on this position? And you could very well get a, a job that way as opposed to spring and bring, as you said, a bunch of resumes on you know a bunch of online applications where other people are doing it too, and how do you stand out from all the other applications? So I, I'm a firm believer in, in in the hidden job network and and also in networking to learn about those hidden jobs. So I I know I did I did also ask that I also did say that you were that this is the first time that you're working with engineering students. Was it something that attracted you specifically to this this job? Well. Um... Actually, my husband um, moved us from our previous location, so it was a re, <laughs> so it was kind of a, a re job. It's kind of a, a redoing your career in a sense. I'm still doing, you know, advising, but just a kind of a different area of advising, and um, and it was working with students. And so they said, as long as you know how to work with students and work with other people, that you know, whether you have a you know an HR background or not, that did not matter. They brought in an industry expert in to, um, to kind of give me, I guess, the quick and dirty on, on you know, medical device and biotechnology um, and kind of how things kind of worked in that area. And so I kind of did a quick study and it kind of it took me a while to kind of get things up and running. But, um, you know, we started and I had an I guess an Excel spreadsheet with alumni and where alumni work and where they are, you know, and trying to keep up with alumni. And then that way that will help students kind of connect. Okay, well, you want to work in biotechnology or you want to work in CRISPR or you want to work in orthopedics or cardiovascular. You have a question, you're working on a project. Why don't you reach out to the student who works at Johnson & Johnson at DePuy Synthesis, for example, in the orthopedic field? Why don't you reach out to them and ask them these questions? And you're not asking for, you're not asking for a job. You know, you're not asking for anything specific, you're just asking for their information and possibly complimenting them on their research or their job, or how did you get there? You know, I really want to do what you're doing. Thank you, you know, thanks so much for helping me. Next thing you know, there's an internship opportunity or a job opportunity 
and they've already talked with you. They know who you are already. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier, you know, to connect with people. And if that person can't help you, maybe they will be more than willing to pass your information along to someone else. Um, you know, and I think, I think one of the things I think that really, you know, hamper students from doing this is, you know, well, they're not going to talk to me. I'm just a student. They, you know, they're too busy. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily true. If they really love their work, they want to share that. And they've been in the shoes the students are in and they want to help them because they know how it feels being there. Um, but I think from a student standpoint, to really do the job search correctly and to do it right and to get the result they really want, they have to treat it like a class because it's time consuming. It's because it's a process. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to apply for this job and click send and it's going to magically, everything's going to magically fall into place. Um, and that's one of those things I try to go to classes and teach. Um, you know, I can say it 42,000 times. And then when I bring other people in from other companies, I get them to say the same things I'm saying to the students. Because um, sometimes it's, you know, remember what mama said? Mama was right. <laughs> and then somebody else says it. You're like, see, mama said, see, mama was right. So, um, but that's, you know, kind of a gist of, Kind of, kind of what it takes, I think now, for students to kind of really be successful in networking. Yeah, I, I firmly agree with you, Jennifer. And and you know, your I, I, your point is well taken on on reaching out to alumni from a school because, as you said, they were in that position that you know everyone had to get that first job at some point, and, and typically that's the most difficult job to get. And and. I, I, I can understand even how the, the students might look at it. They, they may think, well, this person's busy. They may not have time to talk to me. And it, you know what? In some instances, that may very well be true. Some people are not magnanimous like that. Some people are, are kind of jerky. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And you know, it's funny. I tell them that. I said, you know, and then find just somebody to reach out to. Because worst case scenario, you look interested. You know, you look like, okay, well, you're really wanting to get your foot in the door. I said, you know, at this point, you know, you can't really worry about, oh, well, I mean, the worst case scenario is they click delete. Right. That's the worst case scenario. And it's, you know, and then you'll never know if they click delete it or not. So um, it's just a matter of you've always got to keep trying and keep connecting because even if they don't respond to you, it might be four or five months later and saying, hey, you know, I had forgotten. I came across your email again. And yes, we're definitely interested in, in hiring or, you know, I tell students to, you know, offer yourself up. If you find a company in, say, close to home, you know, and there you don't see any opportunities there, find somebody else to reach out to. And I said, you know, offer yourself up. And we've actually had some success in that, too, because they haven't thought, oh, yeah, Clemson University is right down the road. If it's a smaller company, if it's a startup. Those people are so focused on the day-to-day -day that they can't get out of their, their to-do list to think three months in advance, oh gosh, summer's coming up, we might need an intern, or you know what, if we hire this intern for the summer, that intern might turn into our full-time employee six months from now, so maybe it's up to the student to kind of help plant that seed. Um, so I tell them, you know, that, and that's worked out well too. You know, offer yourself up. It doesn't have to be a full time eight to you know eight to five. It can be a part time. It can be an online. Um, you know that you're flexible. That you just need some sort of industry experience to put on your resume. 
Yeah. And, you know, another point I was thinking about when you were talking, Jennifer, is, you know, these are students that are coming out of school now, but at some point they'll be in companies too. So the people that they're reaching out to now when they're students, you know, years down the line, they may very well be a resource to the person that they now are reaching out to. So, I mean, right now they are the person seeking the help, but at some point they may be in a position to offer the help. So it's in your best interest to just connect with people and because you never know where they're going to end up. This is this is true. Absolutely. We have students that end up, um, you know, going to grad school and then trying to get a job. Or we have students end up going to medical school, um, you know, and people going into medical device sales, you know. So you just you just never know um, where the path might lead. Um, you know, and, and then looking at opportunities too, I tell students, you know, if you're just trying to get some sort of experience, any type of engineering, you know, even if you're not, you know, biomedical engineering, maybe it's logistics, maybe it's hands-on manufacturing, maybe it's some sort of part-time um, environmental science or health and safety or some sort of OSHA or for us, you know, regulatory affairs is a big area. So I say, you know, look outside because all those skills are going to be transferable. It's all in how you package it and present it. Um, we've had students go work at BMW, for example. We have BMW down the road from us um, and they've gone to BMW. And then two years later, they turned around and went to P&O school for prosthetics and orthotics. So, so you just never know. It's kind of how you package those skills and present your skills because really they don't it doesn't really matter necessarily as long as you're getting some sort of workforce experience and gaining skills that are going to be needed anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago, there was a student that reached out to me. He knew, he, I guess he found me on LinkedIn and saw that I worked at a medical device company and he wanted to ask me about regulatory affairs. I worked in product development. I didn't work in regulatory affairs, but I did offer some advice on, on what he could do to make himself more attractive you know, become, you know, since this was his first job coming out of graduate school to get a job in regulatory affairs. But I also told him, I don't know why you want a job in regulatory affairs. It's the most boring job ever. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's well. development, man. What are you doing? But no, he ended up going into regulatory affairs. He likes it. And I think he's still in regulatory affairs. So what do I know? <laughs> well, and it's funny because, you know, you have to have those people that love to be in the lab. They love the research. And then I have students come to me saying, well, you know, I don't want to be in the lab. I love people, but I don't want to go to medical school. What can I do? Well, medical device sales might be for you. Um, and then we have students that, you know, are not really sure what they want to do. They're just here to get a degree. And there's just so many different areas and different aspects. It's hard to expose students to every area of you know, of engineering, for example, that, you know, that they could do, um, you know, and we, and we try, we bring in speakers and things like that to try to help, you know, guide the students, well, this is what this involves, or, um, you know, do you need to go to grad school in order to have a job like this? Like, if you're going to be a laboratory manager somewhere like a J&J, &J, of course, you need to go get your master's and probably your PhD, most likely, um, and I think, um, you know, that's some of those things, too, you know, how far, in your degree, do you need to go, or how far in your education do you need to go to get the job that you want? And then, you know, at what point does experience, you know, equal the job or the, the degree that is needed, or when does that trump the degree that is needed, 
you know, because if someone has 20 years of experience, that's going to trump somebody who has a PhD. Of course, that's a whole nother, that might be a whole nother podcast. I've got PhD students who don't think they have to apply any of the things, the job search. Oh, I have a PhD. I'm going to apply and get a job just like that. (laughs) That happens. You know, they say, well, how many PhD students do you have? I'm like, well, that's a good question. I said, I don't really see the PhD students. They don't start looking for a job until after they've graduated. And so they're gone before, you know, and then, you know, three or four months down the road, some of them call me and say, hey, well, you know, I kind of had some issues or troubles finding this or finding that. And I'm like, well, you missed the window. You've missed your window, you know, because they're so busy with all the other schoolwork that they don't think that looking for a job or trying to find a job and networking, that's at the bottom of their list. Um, so, but a lot of them are, are, mis, are misled or have the misconception, oh, I've got a PhD. Um, and some of those students who have a PhD, they spent a lot of time in the lab, which is great, but what else can you do? And no, they're not just going to stick a PhD in the lab. You're going to have all kinds of responsibilities. So I'm trying to teach them early, early on that, you know, even if you want to get a PhD, that's great. You still need industry experience. So, uh, yeah, I mean, unless you're trying to be a, a tenure track professor, then yeah, you hit, hit the lab all you want. But yeah, if, you, if you're going to try to get into industry, you have to work with other people. You, you having a PhD is great, but if you're one of those suck up, uh, you know, I, I don't have to talk to nobody PhDs. You're not going to even get an interview, let alone get, keep a job for any appreciable length of time. I think it's a great idea that you have people come in to speak to the students so they can, can get more of a sense of, of what what's out there and what kind of preparation they need to, to get those type of jobs. Although I will say, especially sometimes with some of the PhD people that, and I've seen this firsthand because they spend so much time and effort to get a phd they will argue to the ends of time that their phd is needed for the job that they're doing and oftentimes that's just this not the true. case <laughs> this is true you know then that's when you know when does experience trump your degree well most likely experience will in most cases you know but i think you know you've got to but you've got to get out there to get experience and so that's what students say well how am i going to get experience if i don't you know, I said, well, you just, you know, it's one of those things you just got to be willing to do the dirty jobs, be willing to do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Um, you know, that's one of those things, too, that um, that I think students have to be willing to do, that they can't just choose the the J&J and the the Medtronics and the, and the pretty jobs, the, the, the Pfizer, you know, you can't choose the pretty jobs. Get in there and do the dirty work and, and move your way up and learn and learn those skills. You mean I can't be a manager on day one, Jennifer? How dare you say such a thing? Everybody wants to do product, you know, it's funny. Everyone wants to do product development. They want to do product development. Everybody wants to do product development. Um, and there's, you know, you've got to kind of look outside those roles because there's not a lot, not everybody does product development. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to actually getting a job, so you, you mentioned the importance of networking, and I'm a big fan of networking as well, especially since it can sometimes help skip that whole applying, spraying and praying to, to, you know, all these, uh, for all these online applications. So let's just say you now actually do get an interview. What type of questions would you suggest that engineering students ask the, the people that they're interviewing? Well, I think that they have to, I think it's just important for them to know that this, you know, their interview works, it works both ways. It works both ways. 
um, they're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing them. You know, so make sure that you have a list of questions that you want to ask. Make sure that you have, you know, um, you know, what, what opportunities do I have um, in this position? Upward mobility, where else in the company can I work? Um, you know, what other locations offer the same position? Um, or what, what skills do you find, you know, most important um, in this role? Um, you know, how many people are in my role and how long are they in this role um, before they're able to, um, to move up to the next um, position? Um, you know, there's some people too, you know, that, that they want to maybe, you know, learn some other things. You know, I really, you know, I'm in product development, but perhaps, you know, down the road, what if they want to move into sales? Um, you know, is that, you know, is that possible? You know, you have to ask, you know, those, those kind of, those kind of questions, it's kind of a fit. They're trying to figure out, are you a fit for their team? And you need to kind of figure out if that's the place that you want to work, if those are the people that you want to work with, is that the company that you want to work for? Um, I, you know, tell them, you know, research the culture, you know, maybe try to find a maybe a question that you want to ask based on, you know, what does your company do to give back? What do they do? Um, maybe for the community, you know, um, what do they, what do they like to do to have fun? You know, ask these questions um, and, and you see if you're compatible with them as well. So, it, it, it works both, but, you know, works both ways um, to try to see if that's a fit for you. It's not all about money. Um, I have students ask me all the time about negotiating salaries and, and things like that. And is this, is this high enough? Is this high enough? And I always steer them towards a salary calculator. Um, um, we have our own career website and I have lots of different websites there. They can plug in their role, their job title how many experience, you know, how many years of experience that they have. And then usually it gives a nice bell curve. This website does. And nine times out of 10, all the students that come to see me, we do this together, we sit down and look at it. And the companies know they're not going to shortchange you. They know. And most of the time it's right in the middle. It is right in the middle. They're not on the high side. They're not on the low side. It's right in the middle. And I think, you know, the students have to realize too, you know, at that point, you know, what, what am I worth? Well, in Boston, you're going to get paid a lot more for the same role. Perhaps you would get paid in Birmingham, Alabama, for example, you know, it's where you live too. the cost of living. There's a cost of living calculator. I point them towards as well. Um, then I have a whole list of different, you know, some companies do behavioral questions to kind of see kind of, and then one of the, you know, one of the rumors that I've heard, for example, like from Stryker, they'll ask questions like, what number do you think of when you get up in the morning? And, <laughs> you, know, say, hmm. you know, I'll say, that's a, a what, number about what? Well, the, the, the answer that they're looking for is one, because you want to be number one and Stryker wants to be number one as far as number one company. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm like, Number, I'm like, oh gosh, is that like a my to do list? Top 10 things I need to get done today. Like, you know, it depends on, so it depends on the company. So if they're asking behavioral questions, I've got kind of a cheat sheet of here's some, you know, some questions that are behavioral and what they're looking for and how to answer those. And then kind of the straightforward, you know, tell me about yourself or talk about your skills, your strengths, your weaknesses, 
those types of questions um, and kind of what they're looking for and how to answer them. And if you, you know, if you've had some kind of experience, usually working working in teams as an engineer, um, it's going to be easy for you to answer those questions because you're going to have lots of, um, I guess, resources or experiences to talk, you know, to talk about as far as you, how would you solve this problem? You're working in a in a team and X, Y, and Z happens. How did you solve the problem or how did you come to a resolution? And so a lot of times, you know, with engineering, it's easy because you have a lot of projects so they can kind of draw upon those. And I'm like, if it's a bad, don't, don't talk too much about the negative, you know, but always talk about the positive and what kind of, what was the outcome, even if there was a disagreement in the group. So there are lots of ways to kind of, you know, talk about that and kind of answer those questions. That's always in on a positive note um, with, with the questions, but always have a question for the interviewer. Don't say, oh, well, I think you've answered all my questions because that way you don't look as interested. So always have a question for the interviewer. Yeah. I'm still think I'm still on the, the striker question about what number do you think of in the morning? And so you tell me if you say two or three, you're not getting the job. That's the you're lamest. Out. That's the lamest question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure they've changed. I'm not sure what what the question is now. Um, but it, you know, if I could, if I could, you know, if I could get some of these questions, you know, what you know, what are the, what were questions that were asked? Um, I had a student who interned at Tesla and SpaceX and now had a had an interview with Google. She's interviewed with Google and Microsoft and um, Amazon. And I was I would love to get a list of questions from her um, just to see kind of what these companies are asking. Are they asking, you know, crazy questions? Or are they asking realistic questions, you know, as far as your skill sets and how you fit in? Um, but um, I think I did save her. She sent me her Google list of questions and it was pretty much straightforward. I can't remember exactly which ones they were, but um, but that's one of my kind of dream to-do list. Kind of if I could get the alumni to respond to email, say, what was your craziest email question or what was your craziest interview question and kind of compile a list um, and kind of say, hey, you know, be thinking about these, you just never know. Um, but yeah, so I definitely, you know, suggest that they do some interview prep for sure. Yeah, be thinking about numbers in the morning. That's something you got to send to the students. You're right. I'm trying to pass these damn exams. You talking about talking about numbers in the morning? Hello. I try not to think about numbers. <laughs> so, if you were to give just let's just say the number three, uh, yeah, three top tips that an engineering student should should take into account when trying to get that first job, what would they be? Um, I think, first of all, you need to find um, you know, a mentor, maybe someone who is maybe two or three years older than you, who is maybe like a new, a kind of maybe a new employee, kind of fresh out in the job market, and they have that, so everything is still new to them, and that way they are able to kind of see them more as a peer, even though they're two or three years older, they're closer in age, so they can kind of maybe rely on that person and and that way it's it's easier to ask them questions saying hey how did you how did you get this job or i know that you took you know that you are maybe two years removed from your job search um you know and then that way they can kind of connect have somebody maybe two or three years older um to kind of ask because it's more recent you know it's newer to them and more recent um getting that job versus somebody that's had a job for 20 years um, but I definitely think too is, um, a cover letter, 
you need a cover letter. Um, students are like, oh, I hate cover letters. I think nobody, nobody loves cover letters, but I tell the student that cover letter is gonna be your bridge between your resume. There's only so many things you can put on your resume. You cannot evoke feelings from a resume. Your resume is your skills, but how do you connect with that company? You've got to have that connection with that company and you know, find a connection with that company um, and express that in your cover letter. Um, and then I saw, I've had companies before and I've asked, you know, well, this student got this interview and this student did not, what was the difference? And they said, well, this student supplied a cover letter with the resume, even though I didn't ask for it. So I interviewed the ones that had a cover letter because I could dig deeper into kind of who that person was instead of just a resume of kind of a skills, you know, cause they have, they can only interview so many people. So cover letters are really important. Um, and I think three is, you know, is networking. You know, you never know who you're going to meet and what position they're going to be in. Reach out, you know, connect with people, send them a quick note saying, hey, I followed, found this article on um, something that, I, you know, I saw that you were researching X, Y, and Z, and I saw this article, and I thought about you, and I thought, you know, you might like to see it. So, you know, networking without asking for things. Um, you know, that's really important to, you know, helping other people networking without asking um, for help, I think is really important because at some point, you know, when you do ask them, they're like, oh yeah, she was really helpful. Or he was really helpful, um, you know, or he sent me that person's email before and her, he helped me connect with somebody else, you know, they're going to feel more inclined to help you when you need help and you never know when that's going to be. Um, you know, keep it up a LinkedIn profile to my students. A lot of students are like LinkedIn. I'm like, yes, use LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's a great, it's a great tool. And I try to make them keep that up. Um, you know, I say whether, you know, right or wrong, employers go to LinkedIn to see who you are. You know, they get your resume. And the first thing they're going to do is go to LinkedIn. And if there's no picture and there's no interesting facts or information on your LinkedIn account, you're not going to exist. And I kind of put a, I put a, you know, a good LinkedIn profile example. And then I put, you know, do not do this LinkedIn, you know, profile example. So, you know, I think that's really important. So definitely having a cover letter in addition to your resume, you know, having a mentor, someone you can call on that won't, you know, that doesn't mind, you know, kind of going back and forth with you um, who's recently graduated and then also definitely, you know, networking and using LinkedIn. Um, I think that's probably the top three. Excellent. Those are excellent tips. I, I fully agree. Having the mentor that two or three years older than you, excellent, because they're close to, as you mentioned, they're close to the age. So you're, you're more likely to, uh, I guess, relate to them. So they can tell you don't go into regulatory affairs, try to get that job in product development. <laughs> and, then, and then you also mentioned the a cover letter, which is interesting because I always thought that no one really reads them, but then I, 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 I kind of take your point, especially if it's your first job, that could very well be a differentiator to see that whether you get the interview or not. So that, that's interesting. And then also networking without asking. And that's, that's sometimes difficult to do because ultimately you really are networking so you get that first job, but you can't actually ask for the first job. But so you have to kind of figure out a way. How do I, you know, stay on top of these people's minds so that they actually think of me when they think of internships or that first job without actually saying, can I get an internship or that first job? <laughs> so that's, that's a bit of a It's an art. <laughs> it is. It's kind of opposite of engineering. 
There's no like right or wrong, black or white. I mean, it's all gray. It's all in the middle. It's an artwork. And, and they look at me like, what? I'm like, nope, don't need a calculator for this. Or it's not, you know, it's not a perfect science, which engineering is somewhat of a perfect science or, you know, problem solving. So I'm like, you know what, this is just another problem to be solved. Because in, in, you know, in essence, engineering is problem solving. So, you know, looking for a job, internships, experience, anything like that's going to be problem solving. So yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for, for being a guest on, on the podcast, on the YouTube channel, Jennifer. How can people get in touch with you? Well, um, they can find me at, at jrhogan.edu um, or at clemson.edu. Um, and also I have a website um, and they can find it on the bioengineering website at clemson, um, clemson.edu. And then they can just Google bioengineering. And that's the fastest way um, to get to us. Excellent. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of the online public speaking course, Teach the Geeks to Speak. And you can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Or on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.